Hosanna in the highest. Well, again, thank you so much to all of those who have helped to put our service together for today. Uh, for our praise team who offered our special music for today. Uh, for Colin Ebers, who filled in as our liturgist this morning. Uh, for Gary Brubaker and the praise team who always offer our music together. Thank you so much. Um, and today we also begin our in-person worship services. And so thank you to all of those who have volunteered uh, for um, ushering and greeting. Thank you for uh, the ways that we are serving together. Um, thank you. So today is Palm Sunday. And um, okay, can I confess something? I think I confessed this many years, but um, Palm Sunday... I want to ride a donkey in to worship one of these years. I have been preaching, I think this is my 16th Palm Sunday in worship. Um, I'm just putting it out there. I'm just saying. I thought maybe this year could be the year. I mean, we have to wear masks anyway in worship, but there's a few things I haven't quite figured out yet, like where to get a donkey. Um, so, things to consider. But Palm Sunday um, is the beginning of Holy Week. And um, Holy Week is, um, is this last part of Lent. And in Lent, um, we have been, um, we talk about giving something up or taking something on uh, for uh, remembering this sacrifice, uh, what Jesus has done for us. And during uh, our series here, we've been talking about the wilderness, um, what the wilderness is, and some wilderness stories throughout the Old and the New Testament. We talked about Hagar and Jacob and Moses um, and Jesus to see what we take with us into the wilderness, what we bring with us out of the wilderness. A few, uh, several weeks ago now, um, Bishop Latrell Easterling of the Baltimore Washington Annual Conference asked, what are we prepared to leave in the wilderness when we emerge? What do we leave behind and what lessons do we keep? And so today we look at the story of Palm Sunday, of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Hosanna in the highest. Would you pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, the wilderness. Um, the wilderness we've talked about over the past few weeks, um, both in the physicality of the wilderness, um, that the wilderness can seem overwhelming and confusing and hard, um, in a physical sense, whether you're wandering the desert or wandering a forest or wandering the city streets. Um, the wilderness can seem confusing physically, but also emotionally. It's also a place of emotional confusion, um, loneliness, isolation, or even abandonment. And so it can feel like in the wilderness that we're alone in this journey, and that God has abandoned us or uh, everyone has abandoned us, including God. 
But as we've heard each of these stories about the wilderness, and really the stories um, throughout scripture tell us this also, that God has never abandoned us, that God is always with us, even though it may feel isolating and alone. And um, we remember that through the wilderness, we're changed. So we begin Palm Sunday. And today, Palm Sunday begins Holy Week. It starts with Jesus and the shouts of Hosanna. And by the end of the week, crucify him. So this is a really familiar story. We tell it every year in the church. I mean, that's, um, I think that's one of the challenges of, of Holy Week. Um, you know, Holy Week and Christmas are often, not often, they are the two biggest holidays in the church. Um, and so we know these stories fairly well. And the details of the stories don't really change. I mean, sometimes we learn new information and new context. Um, but for the, I mean, the scriptures are really typically the same. And so for the most part, these stories sound familiar. Um, I, uh, yeah, they sound familiar because they are. Um, you know, I had, I know that it's probably a joke that you've heard, and I know that I've had conversations with people who have said, gosh, I hear you preach on the same thing every time. Now, I think that most preachers have like three or four sermons in them um, with the same theme. Um, but um, I had someone who said, you know, you preach the same thing every time I hear you. Um, and I was like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah, every Christmas you preach the same thing. And every Easter you preach the same thing. And I was like, well, Jesus is born. Jesus is resurrected. Like, that's the same thing. Anyway, so it sometimes can be hard to, <laughs> to define these stories and what's different and what's, what's new in them. And the story of Palm Sunday... It, it doesn't take place in a literal wilderness, just like our story from last week, the transfiguration. Although wildernesses look different to different people, um, this wouldn't be what most would call a wilderness story. But even though, even though the wilderness doesn't always look the same, it feels the same. So first, let's just cover this story. Now, one thing, um, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that are important about Jesus. Um, but one of the things that I think that is important to remember about Jesus is that he wasn't a Christian. Christianity didn't come until much later after Jesus's resurrection and even much later after that. So Jesus wasn't a Christian. He was a Jewish man, which meant that he participated in the festivals and the holidays of the Jewish tradition. And in particular, the holiday and festival that he would have been celebrating at this time would have been the Passover, the Passover of Moses. Um, and the Passover remembers the story of Moses going to Pharaoh and the 10 plagues that were, um, that were inflicted upon Pharaoh and Egypt for not letting the Israelites go, uh, with the last plague being the death of the firstborn. And the angel of death would pass over the homes painted with lamb's blood. 
And as a result of this last plague, Pharaoh let the Hebrew people go. And so Passover, this feast and festival, this holiday for the Jewish tradition, um, retells that story. And it's a really, it's one of the high holy days of the temple. People would come to make sacrifices and pilgrimage to the temple for this holiday. So they would come for hundreds of miles around to Jerusalem, which meant that Jerusalem, which was normally a pretty busy city anyway, but especially around holidays like Passover, it would have been bustling. Um, so there would have been a lot of activity, a lot of people there. And Jerusalem was under Roman rule, which, I mean, really what most of the world looked like at that time was under Roman rule. And Rome achieved rule by violence and war. They would go into an area and say, we got you. This is ours now. Uh, and if you disagreed and you were like, mm, maybe not, they were like, oh, well, you're dead. Um, so, and oftentimes the Rome had really almost perfected um, torture and murder and execution, and especially public ways of doing this, so that it was a message not just to the individual who disagreed or who stood up to the empire, but it was a message to everybody else. And oftentimes, crucifixion was something that was used, being nailed to a cross. And so, well, again, this hurt, I mean, killed the individual, what they would do is they would line the streets with these crosses and with these crosses with people on them as a way of saying not just to the individual, but to everyone, see this? This is what happens when you cross us, literally cross us. Um, and so as, as any, any human, you learn really quickly what you need to say in order to keep your life. And Pilate was the governor of Jerusalem, and he was charged with making sure that the Jewish people, or Jerusalem, kept in line. Now, oftentimes, uh, the Roman Empire is talked about as being anti-religion, and especially anti Christianity or anti-Judaism, which, I mean, there's definitely some anti-Semitism and some anti-Christian um, stuff that's going on. But Rome really wasn't anti-religion. They were pretty accepting. You could believe or practice just about anything you wanted. The thing that you couldn't do is you couldn't question or challenge the empire. And once you did that, that was the problem. And so for Christianity, part of the problem was, was challenging the Roman Empire. Who is Lord? But Jesus is Lord. Um, in the Roman Empire, Caesar is Lord. And so by saying Jesus is Lord, you're making a political statement, among other political statements that, um, that we just say as part of our, um, our religious um, tradition. But then they were pretty, ra I mean, they're still pretty radical, but it was very, uh, it was very dangerous to say some of these things. So this all brings us to the parade, um, which uh, is Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. 
And the story goes that Jesus rode on a donkey through the streets of Jerusalem. People laid down their coats and waved their palm branches, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I mean, the way that this is described in the scriptures is kind of a nice little parade. And who doesn't love a parade? And this cry that's offered, this Hosanna, <coughs> it's, it's a word that means save me or save us. Help. But not just like help us someday or save us someday. It's save us now. There's an, there's a, an emphasis to this. There's a, an immediacy to this. Help us save us now. And so that changes things as you think about this parade as the palms are being waved and laid. Help us. Hosanna. Save us now. And that's, that's a different picture of the parade. But also the word Hosanna had been so ingrained into conversation and language that it didn't always mean help or save us now or save me. Some people used it differently, like just a celebratory um, word. So um, it's kind of like the word bad. I mean... That's so bad. I mean, that's negative or you're so bad. I mean, that's kind of like teasingly or that's bad. Um, like that's fierce or that's good. So even the word bad, what does it mean? And that's a little bit about Hosanna had become. So it does mean save us or save me. But for some people, it was just a cry of celebration. And so... The truth is, in this crowd, you've got people who are yelling this and shouting Hosanna for many different reasons. Some people were indeed crying, save us now. Help us now. And some people were crying like, yay, you're here. Um, or, yes, we're saved. So there's different emotions and different meanings that are wrapped up in this crowd, and it's sort of a little chaotic. But aren't crowds and, and parades sometimes have a little element of chaos to them? This is where we are. And so even though this is not a wilderness in like a desert or a forest, with the chaos that's happening, there's... There's a little bit of wilderness going on here. It's a different way to see the wilderness. And our story continues as Jesus um, uh, goes to the temple. And the temple was, um, it was, it was really common for people to be outside of the temple selling animals or products for sacrifices. This was actually really normal. And when you're traveling really far distances, it's just easier to buy your lamb or doves at the temple rather than trying to get those things to come, um, you know, hundreds or maybe even thousands of miles. So this was normal. It was a way that they tried to accommodate people. Um, and Jesus really wasn't upset with that part of it. Jesus was upset with something else that was going on in there. 
And so as Jesus was growing up in about um, 4 BC, the town next to Galilee, Jesus's hometown, um, staged a revolt against Rome. And as a result, the Roman Empire came in with force and leveled the town. Every citizen was put into slavery. Now, this wasn't a secret because Rome rarely did anything in secret. And they did that. They didn't do things in secret to remind people, hey, we got the power. And Joseph's dad, Jesus's dad, Joseph, was a carpenter and likely would have been involved with helping to repair or build the city. And so this would have been a story that Jesus grew up with and knew and experienced. And Jesus and others would have known the sanctuary, the temple, to be a sanctuary from violence and cruelty. It was a place separate from the empire. It was a place of prayer. It was sanctuary. And many times the temple was a challenge to the empire. I mean, if you think about it, like um, Nathan, the prophet Nathan challenged King David after his relationship with Bathsheba. The temple doesn't belong to the empire and the empire has no role in the temple. And so what's happening outside of the temple is that the money changers weren't just selling items for the temple for sacrifices, but they're collecting additional taxes for the empire. They're taking advantage of the poor. They're taking advantage of their own people, ripping them off. And it's a way of letting the empire into the temple, which then makes the temple an unsafe place, not a place of peace and prayer, not a place of challenge, but a den of robbers. And then this is a part of Jesus' story that we don't tell all that often. It's not a picture that we often paint, the flipping tables Jesus. I mean, we like the happy and peaceful Jesus. Confession, I might like that Jesus better. But this Jesus, this righteously angry Jesus, Sometimes we need this Jesus. Sometimes we need someone who will remind us when we've messed up, that we've gone past the boundaries and need some correction. And Jesus' life and ministry was often about challenging power structures. Where are the poor being taken advantage? Why are the poor being taken advantage? Why are we making life harder on them instead of helping them? Why are the sick being marginalized and excluded rather than helped into healing? Why is violence the message we cling to when God's is one of nonviolence and peace? And you start asking these questions, not just then, even now. You start acting in rebellion. And when you're rebelling against systems of power, you are met with an anger and a desire to maintain the status quo. And sometimes, like Jesus, death. 
This is Palm Sunday, y'all. This is a big story that we begin this week with. I mean, if this is like, like the opening scene to the movie, whoo, where are we going? I mean, the attitude of this week shifts and changes pretty dramatically. It starts a little chaotic, but it's gonna go a lot more chaotic, just a different chaos. This is a wilderness, and it's a wilderness with hope baked into it. I mean, that's true of the most of the wilderness stories anyway. You keep going because of what's on the other side and what happens when you make it through the wilderness. And the wilderness looks different to each of us. Just as some are crying, save me. Hosanna. Some are crying, yes, Hosanna. Some are being taken advantage of. And some aren't even able to make it to the temple. It's the way this pandemic has been. We're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. During Holy Week, the stormy wilderness gets worse before it gets better. Jesus starts together with this crowd of people and ends on his own at the cross. His cries on the cross asking if God has abandoned him. That's what the wilderness feels like. That's also not where the story ends. So don't make the middle of the story the end. Don't make the middle of your story the end of the story. There's more to tell. There's more to experience. Like this Holy Week is one that is full of drama and surprises. The cries of the crowd move from Hosanna to crucify him. And so as you experience the story the rest of this week, may we reflect on who Jesus is, this peaceful ruler who challenges us to be peacemakers. May we hear this story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and hear the ways that it speaks into our own. May we not make the middle of the story the end. May this be a story baked with hope, love, mercy, grace, and peace. Wherever we are, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Amen.